Okay, heavy stuff. Uh, let's see. Um, so I, I want to kind of step from that from that point um, into talking about the solutions, you know, and mm-hmm. into talking about basically the film up to this point is in breaking down that reality to people, helping them understand the material and the extractive and the human cost and the environmental cost and just the basic unreality and the disconnection between these two systems, this life system and this money system and this industrial sort of consumption system that are fundamentally at ends with each other. So this is kind of the midpoint where that point is hammered in from all sides. We need a new system. So, um, from this point, um, just asking very simply, you know, man on the street comes up to you, says, Simon, I watch your videos, you know, I, I get the problems, but what is the solution? So the what thing that can, uh, can change much easier, like, like we can't really change our technology very easily or our commodities supply very easily, but what we can do is change us. As in the social contract, what do we use all this stuff for? Uh, the three basic steps. And it can't be just one person, we've got to collectively understand this stuff. First, we've got to understand the true nature of the challenge in front of us. Not just one of the problems in isolation, but all of them together and how the parts fit together. And given that understanding, step two is we've got to understand ourselves better. You know, know thyself. What are our true capabilities given the true nature of the challenge? What are our limitations? What can we do? What can't we do? That's a very, very brutal conversation we've got to have with ourselves. And the third step is for the first time, we can start to develop a plan, a response. And that plan also has steps and stages in it. So they're your basic three steps. We will change from a global system where I can order something from, say, Amazon. And uh, on the internet, and and my books arrive a couple of weeks later. We will move to a more regional system where everything we've got is made, say, in a 500-kilometer radius. We now have factories and technology, and refining and mining, and each region will become more self-sufficient. And until we do, we're going to have to sort of make do without, and perhaps reuse and repurpose what we have more effectively instead of throwing things away. And so there's a a very much a change in uh, social perception. The relationship between energy and minerals, I believe, will evolve into something to the relationship we have with money. We are very careful with our money. We are very, very, very careful in uh, managing when money is being wasted. And we think in terms of saving uh, when we can. I think society is going to move to that. So the relationship with energy and the raw material of minerals will actually become more reality-based. And it's like everything has to be built from the ground up. The old world is ending. And we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today to transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, 
we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. So today is a, a little bit different of an episode of Moneyless Society. Matt and Amanda have both been taken out by three-letter organizations. Um, we're not really sure, CIA, FBI, one of those, you know. So uh, today is just going to be me holding down the fort here with a guest that I'm very excited to get into with uh, Simon Michaud, who is uh, someone that I discovered through Nate Hagen's fantastic show, The Great Simplification, which I highly recommend everybody alive really watch right now because it's it's a show that is more grounded and connected to reality, you know, just really dealing with the, the situation that we're going through right now on a real level, not in terms of the fantasies of economics or even through uh, more abstract social theories, but just really getting in terms in touch with the material reality that we're going through, our energy blindness, our material blindness. So uh, through this show, I discovered uh, this episode with Simon, which dealt heavily with the minerals, um, with, with the impending sort of uh, incompatibility with the Earth's actual capacity to provide the amount of minerals that are needed to continue this current system, to just transition from fossil fuels to renewable energies. It, it really blew my mind to see somebody like Simon, who is, I'm sure we'll get into his a little bit of, more of his story, but somebody who is very grounded and very experienced in this hard reality. And so, um, Simon, um, you can kind of take it from there and kind of tell us a little bit about the problems. I, 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 we don't need to go too deep into the problems because I would love people to just listen to that episode of Great Simplification, but, and, and because this is a show about solutions ultimately. Okay. So that, that's, uh, oh, I, I got to set a little bit more up because I reached out to you uh, after watching that episode. And because it, it really seemed to me like you had this awareness that money is insufficient to account for these resources, that it is not sufficient for us to understand reality. I reached out to you and I said, hey, we, we have this show, this is what we're doing. You sent me some of your work and I was just, I was just, I can't explain the, the elation that I felt when you sent me back, you know, work dealing heavily, probably at a more advanced level than I'm capable of with the kind of transition that we are working to actuate here with our show, with our movement. So, um, Simon, without further ado, if you can just kind of start us out in the problem. Okay. Um, so, my name is Simon Michaud. I'm an associate professor of the Geological Survey of Finland. Uh, I was educated in Australia, basic degree in physics and geology, PhD in mining engineering blasting. I was in the mining engineering, uh, I was in the mining industry in research and development for 18 years. Then I joined the private sector. Uh, and supporting feasibility studies. And then I came to Europe to learn industrial recycling and I came across a circular economy. And now I'm in Finland where I'm doing mineral intelligence and circular economy solutions. Right, so I'm from Australia. Uh, I was attached to the corporate side of, uh, of life in Australia for a while. And I so I saw how things uh, operated at a, at a very sort of superficial level. I, I wasn't out on a mine site all the time, like to, 20 years ago, I did uh, some contracting work as a coal geophysicist working in the coal industry. Right, so I was, I was very aware of the practicalities of what was required to extract um, metals, and, and especially at a feasibility study level, like what, what are the pre uh, pressures? And so I get to Europe, and I see all these blind spots. 
they, 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 they mean well and they, and they say all the right things. But when you actually talk to them, there was there were so many things that uh, they were just so unaware of. And it, and it was really quite interesting to uh, to see, and, uh, and 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 a lot of these blind spots were quite serious. Like in Europe, we don't mine, we don't mine stuff here very much. What we do is we buy finished products off the market, and those finished products are often manufactured outside of Europe, or if they are manufactured inside Europe, the components to manufacture things are manufactured outside Europe, and certainly all the metals to extract. Uh, 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 metals that are extracted and smelted are done outside of Europe, mostly in Southeast Asia. And so that was when they were sort of talking about the need for uh, the circular economy and everything, it it was all very much business as usual. And they they were very unaware of of the material problems. And so I actually sat in on on a few projects and I, I realized one of the other blind spots was energy. We were not allowed to discuss energy. And, uh, you know, the role energy is the master resource. It's the heart of everything. And so for the last 20 years, I've been showing that, collecting information to show that our industrial ecosystem is operating in an unsustainable context. And our society has been living in, in, in a way that is also unsustainable. But in, in, in reality, it's like a fantasy land, especially since 1971. Was, you know, uh, that's when the US dollar decoupled from the gold standard. From, from that point onwards, the real economy decoupled from the fiat economy. And so I believe what's now happening is now that we've seen the energy, uh, peak oil may well be November 2018, and we are seeing the process of the industrial ecosystem evolve where the fiat economy and the real economy are going to be forced back together with ecological reality imposing itself. And uh, and so to, to make that case, I've um, gone off and thought about how to do it, and I've put a series of works on the ground over time to actually uh, try and communicate my ideas. And it has to be in a systems context. Now, it also has to be understood that uh, embedded in my work is a series of solutions in the solution space. Things are coming apart at the seams. Yes, we are looking at a different uh, uh, series of, of um, solutions. Uh, 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 we are looking at a different series of problems. But embedded in those problems, uh, there are um, solutions that can be discussed, but at the very heart of everything is, is an evolution of us socially. We've got to see things differently and have a different re- relationship with energy, but also a different relationship with raw materials in general. So society has to restructure itself. And whether we like it or not, that's what's going to happen. And so I've been sort of looking at what would that look like. Now, it is my hope, for example, to to stop pointing out what the problem is and then get permission to do some real work and start working on solutions about what we might do about it. And uh, that's, that's, that's my hope. Well, that's really the space that we live in or that I try to live in. And it, it is increasingly frustrating to interact with people who have no sense of, of material reality, who are yeah. completely in, as you said, fantasy land mm-hmm. that have no idea what's going on and that misdiagnose all the problems. And, you know, I have these debates with my dad all the time about these, and he, he basically is very averse to dealing with the problems. And I think it's very, very important for people to have this structural understanding of the problems that really comes down to 
what is our relationship to nature? What is our relationship to what is physically possible? I mean, and there's so much of the problems are boiled down to, oh, we don't have enough money for this, or oh, we don't have enough of this. When it's like, that is not a thing that we can print up as much money as we, as we like. It is not a limitation. It is a self-imposed limitation. I mean, it is a very real limitation. I mean, it, it has a, it, I mean, it, ha it, it, it has such a physical reality that a child holding it in their hand uh, experiences a diminishment of their empathy. But in terms of the effect that it has on the actual ec economic processes of life of Earth, it is ephemeral. And th th this is an interesting thing that like the work that you're doing right now um, that you sent me uh, before we went on here and that I actually saw some people in the Doomer space who I debate often on Twitter <laughs> they were sharing your material in this long protracted debate about how like the end is nigh it's it's it's, it's, it's over and they're like happy about it because they just they don't understand the root of the problem and so they think it's just life or humanity or civilization and so they were sharing i was basically saying no we need a different kind of economy we have an economy that is based upon using as much resource and energy as possible as fast as possible and that is not a human thing that is not an inherent uh, part of our social reality. It is a construct that we have chosen and that we have, you know, become coupled within. But it was just so interesting that they were sending your material and I was like, ha ha, you fucking lose because I know this guy. We've talked, we've spoken before and we are in alignment on a path of an actual solution that this isn't an intractable problem. I mean, it's getting more difficult all the time, but there are actual solutions in restructuring that social process that is attached to our economic system. So, uh, so, sorry. Could you could you talk a little bit more about the um just the basic problem of? Uh, I saw a really p powerful graph that was just like the amount of minerals we have, the amount of minerals that we'll need for one generation of yeah. fossil fuel or replacing yeah, so, fossil fuel. Okay. Um, so what I was working on was um, I actually calculated that if we were to phase out fossil fuels completely, what would that look like in context if we replaced the existing system? So when you look out the window and you see all the cars and trucks driving up and down the street and the electricity that comes through the wires and lights your, lights your house, if all of that, all of it was completely non-fossil fuel, what would that look like? And, you know, for example, um, how much would be electric vehicles, how much would be hydrogen fuel cells? Uh, and, and if everything was actually powered with non-fossil fuel systems that we have now, that are commercially available now, because a lot of the debate is stuff that might happen in theory in 10 years' time. Whereas the reality is we need to actually have industrial systems on the ground in the next four or five years, or we may as well not bother. Um, now, uh, and so the existing system, like people take my work to say EVs are not, not possible, therefore we shouldn't do it. The reality is fossil fuels are becoming un unreliable. So whether it's for climate change reasons or for resource depletion, fossil fuels are going. So we need the next after fossil fuel plan now. Now, now, not next week, not not in ten years' time. We need yeah, operate not by twenty fifty. Yeah, no, no, we need to be operational now. So we have to work with what we have now, and so we will do the EV hydrogen fuel cell, etc. Plan, but it just won't work nearly as well. And I see it as a stepping stone to something as as something else. That stepping stone will buy us time. Now, so what I did was I worked out um, how many vehicles were in the global fleet, which has turned out to be about one point four billion. And that's much larger than any other study I've seen. Uh, the World Economic Forum released a report in 2019 where their estimates were much lower, and, and the fleet they were looking at seemed to be about 240 million cars. 
right? Now, Europe has, you know, 240 million cars. You know, what about the rest of the planet? Uh, you, know, you know, China uh, has 220, you know, um, and, and, and so on. So how many vehicles, what class, you know, are they trucks? Are they uh, commercial vans? Uh, are they passenger cars? Um, and how far did they go in one year? What distance did they travel? And so, all right, if everything was an EV and everything was a hydrogen fuel cell, and later we divvied up, which was, which was going to uh, be um, happen, um, if everything was electric vehicle and they did that amount of work and they were that class of vehicle to start with, how much extra electrical power would they need to charge those batteries over that time? And so that is an estimate of how much extra electrical power has got to be added to the existing um, power grid. And then I looked at uh, power generation, phase out gas and coal and oil, take it out, and we're now going to substitute in uh, wind wind and solar and hydro and nuclear and um, geothermal and all that uh, according to an energy split that um, has been worked out. And then the IEA released a report that actually gave an estimate of the metal content per unit. You know, what, what, uh, what's, uh, what is the metal content in your average electric vehicle? And what is the average metal content in your different battery chemistries, uh, and 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 so on and so forth? And, and so I projected that in that same report they made an estimate in 2050 what the energy split would be, and what the market share would be for things like um, what battery chemistries uh, would be used, but also uh, what um, uh, engineering uh, um, unit of wind turbine. And so I was able to get an estimate of what. Uh, engineering units would be there and their metal content, project that onto the numbers needed and then sum it all up and we actually have a list of numbers of metals, by metals, what we will need for EVs, their batteries, hydrogen fuel cells, uh, stationary power storage, wind turbines and solar panels. <clears throat> so it's all summed together. And then it's then projected up against, well, we've got like this, this, this stack of metal. It's all right. So in 2019, which is the last year before COVID, so it's the last sensible year of data we will see for long some, some time, uh, <clears throat> when the mining industry was working well, what was it producing? And so we've got the production rates for each metal and put that up against, well, how many years of production will we need to hit the target? Now, remember, the target we've, I've, I've set is for one generation of units. Now, cars last about 10 years. Wind turbines last about 20 years. And so they all phase out. In 20 years' time, we do it all again. And for, you know, and the numbers were ranged from a couple of hundred years for copper all the way up to a couple of thousand years for things like lithium and graphite and cobalt. Right, and, and so current mining production is really, really, truly not even close to being appropriate. So then take those same numbers and project them up against the current reserves. And it turns out current reserves are also not enough. So it's not just a case of opening more mines with deposits we already have. Uh, you know, um, uh, all the lithium-ion battery chemistries that they think they're going to use, you know, lithium, cobalt, uh, graphite, vanadium, all of them, uh, the global reserves as they are now, are less than 5% of what we need to generate to manufacture one generation of batteries to replace the existing system as it is now. Uh, so what that, what that means is, uh, they're just going to make batteries out of something else like fluoride or sodium or, or zinc even. But where things get interesting is one of the metals targeted as a problem is copper. 
every electrical device has copper in it. You cannot really substitute copper. Uh, you can substitute aluminium in some circumstances, but not all. But also aluminium requires a lot of electricity to produce. So, you know, that creates another problem somewhere else. Uh, and so what that means is uh, we, we current reserves at 19% of uh, what is needed for one generation of electric unit, uh, non-fossil fuel units. Now, substituting copper is not, is, is not a problem. So at this point, it's not going to work. So at this point, the whole green transition as it is now, right, it's a crap plan and we need to make a better one. Now, where people fall over, I actually said that to the UN and they laughed. Right. And, and, and so, you know, and in fact, the International Monetary Fund has actually asked me to attend their internal conference and I'm going to present my numbers to them. And uh, I'm, I'm basically saying that uh, they, they've got things wrong as well. Well, please and, let me attend that with you as your plus one and I can jump up on the tables and scream the end is nigh. Like a so, network, like I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> you dark wizards have destroyed our future. <laughs> but it's just funny. I just wanted to say that the um, in that projection, that's just the current amount of vehicles. That's that correct. doesn't even take into account the fact that they're trying to sell more vehicles every year, more so, all the time. The World Bank projects in 2050 that the industrial power system is going to be four times what it is now. They want to bring a lot of countries out of poverty, like India, and bring them into line with, um, uh, say, um, say European levels. Now, oil consumption is a proxy for um, development. And so I did a, a study where let's see about looking about can you uh, – what would happen if the rest of the world per capita, each economy, started consuming oil at the same rate as Russia uh, – um, Germany did, sorry – in 2018 and what ended up happening was you needed to add an extra 117 percent of capacity on top of what we have at the moment more than double right and and so we just don't have the oil for that so the inequality that is in the world at the moment is baked into the cake we're never going to get to the point where uh everyone in the world at the moment will actually come into line and will have true equality across the planet uh so that that right there it says there'll be haves and have nots unless we scrap the whole thing and develop an entirely new paradigm. Now, one of the things I, I pointed out to my management is if there are haves and have-nots, the have-nots are going to be most pissed, right? And they're probably going to come and eat the haves, eat, because food's going to be a problem, right? Uh, and, and, and so we either get there together or it's give war a chance. Now, using that kind of language to... Um, senior groups, you know, you're fairly sort of senior groups, and they get it. They're human just like the rest of us. Like so, someone suggested, for example, one of the things that we're going to um, do is eat insects and, and, and solve our food problems that way. And I laughed at him, and I'm, I'm quoting a friend of mine from Australia called Sven Waits. Right? He, he said this quote, and I'm finding it very useful. I will be eating politicians before I eat insects. <laughs> Right, and, and, and I mean, that's 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 the uh, the platform that is being pitched now. Like it's just all of these insane, like not solutions, but just these really insane. Like it, it's the equivalent of an addict. I mean, in the the metaphor of addiction, I think is so perfect for both oil addiction and both for money addiction. For you know, capitalism in general is, in, in my appraisal, a very mass form of addiction. 
And we're yeah. at the stage of the addiction where we're all out of drugs and they're yeah. like picking through the carpet, looking for things to smoke, you know? And they're so, saying, oh, we're going to eat bugs or, oh, we're going to, you know, recycle things indefinitely or, oh, we're going to, we're going to plug you into this, uh, this, <laughs> I'm just picturing this like tube scenario where they, people are like in near stasis and they live in the metaverse. So they're using less resources. And like, these are really the kinds of things that people are thinking just to keep this incredibly in, in, inequal system, the system yep. that produces a, a, a detrimental outcome for the majority of people. And that is, is totally unnecessary that drives the chaos and the destruction of our world that is the cause of war that is really if you boil it back down and th this is one of the you know the problems and the benefits of of systems thinking of a holistic perspective of not being lost in an ideology and thinking oh well, you know we have freedom and democracy here but actually looking at the structure and seeing okay no that's not producing the outcome we think is that you can't unsee these things you yeah. can't hear something like we're going to produce this amount of cobalt and not see the children slaves carrying mm -hmm. that metal out of a hole on their back. That's right. And so one of the one of the uh, uh, members of the audience said, "Look, you know, suggesting eating of politicians is not helpful." <laughs> right? and, and, uh, and I said, "No, look, take a look at what's happening in Sri Lanka and what's happening in Denmark, uh, in in, in um, as it, uh, Netherlands." You know, with the farmer strikes, and if someone needs to be eaten, who do you think is going to go first? Uh, and uh, they, oh, I, 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 I. and 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 we said, look, it's it's really very simple. If you're serious about this, what you would do is is um, uh, human food populations would start reducing meat content, and we'd go mostly vegetarian, eat the occasional bit of meat, so it would shrink in size, and that meat, instead of feeding what we're feeding it now, you can do something like a seaweed additive, so they're not producing so much methane anymore. And something as simple as that, and all that horseshit goes away. And and the the answer that on the end of the phone was silence. When I present my work to these people, a lot of the time they sit there like you know with a face like a smacked ass. They have no answer. <laughs> and, and 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 it really gives me the shits because these people have been paying uh, funding a lot of people working for the last fourteen years, and the very basics has not been done. The basic mathematics, the basic homework has not been done. And it simply was not necessary. And a lot of the solutions that they're talking about won't work, but there are parallel systems that they are rejecting. For, for example, if you try and put in a, a funding proposal for battery chemistries development, it must be lithium-ion chemistry. Anything else is not considered sensible. So all the parallel chemistry systems we could use, like you know, the fluoride in your toothpaste could be used to make a battery. I saw uh, cra crab shells, coconut shells. I mean, there's so many ways to do what we're trying to do that aren't lithium ion. But I, I mean, it seems so clear to me that that is uh, the, the, it's a substitute or, and it currently it's a, it's a parallel circuit of extraction, that it's something they can continually charge money for that the existing in infrastructure, the industries like the heavy mining industries and the corporations that own them, you know, I, I don't know the names of them, but, you know, they, they are able to continue extracting wealth out of people through this process instead of doing something that is more efficient. And that really gets to the heart of the current system is that one, that the business, business, you know, big industry exists to go between progress in industry and, and in human flourishing to continue to extract their benefit to their to to keep their class enriched in forms of political power which is you know consolidated monetary 
consolidated money is political power and so that they need they need to be in in control and the second aspect of it is that oh i'm i'm, I'm totally blanked on the second aspect it but yes yeah, that, that that they can that they can continually extract this out of people forever you know that it, it cycles that it, it is a cyclical form of consumption that it's not stable it's continued transaction continued profit hearing and that this is incompatible with reality that oh yeah that i was going to say that the other point of inefficiency is that they block new innovations to maintain mm -hmm. the existing order and you know actual efficiency is destructive to the market model because it takes away jobs it takes away the need for more inputs which aren't costs necessarily they're boons for the other people that are producing those products like the metals like like xyz the, all the inputs within our systems are aren't just costs they are uh, their sales you know from companies producing these things so to actually create an efficient system is really the destruction of this old way and i think the kind of work you're doing which is really earth economics biomechanical or biophysical economics um is invalidating fundamentally profoundly this whole order and people just don't have answers for it and i i have been uh speaking these things and trying to make these points and perspectives understood they're not really perspectives it's a hard wall of physical reality of natural law and yet th this there's an optimism in there because one they don't have arguments they don't have a political platform to invalidate it and just call it communism or whatever and two that that it is forcing us really to gravely reassess everything and bring us to what i would really love to get into is the solution you know that that holistic new paradigm so what you got right there is uh people say like uh, am i positive for the future the answer is yes with the understanding that we've got the most difficult and challenging generation of work ahead of us than that's ever been seen right um but this whole transition this this whole uh this the current system is is not not working and we're now forced to see a few things human species is now forced to see things that it has used energy and abundance of money to put off seeing so it in many respects the human species for the first time ever now has the opportunity to grow up right now if you were to model the human species as a single person it would be an obese teenager addicted to crack that's just been told to kick the habit and lose some weight what's about to happen is tough love right and and it's, it's not like we didn't see it coming because people like yourself and myself have been shouting it from the rooftops for 50 60 years right but we chose to do something else so so the, the human species for the first time uh is going to see a few things and and is be forced into the reality of of, of seeing how we do things and why we'll be forced to see why we should have a more respectful and sustainable relationship with the planet, the planetary environment, and why we should think for ourselves and why we should be nice to each other, uh, and, 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 and blah, 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 blah. All of this sort of stuff is going to be forced out all at once. And on the other side of this transition, humanity, if it learns what it needs to learn, otherwise we do it again, uh, uh, if we learn what we need to learn, then this human species could become genuinely uh, sustainable, long-term sustainable, and the viability of the human civilization can now go for an extended period of time instead of a brief flash of a couple of thousand years. 
right? And and because of the nature of the way we are, we're like any other biological entity. We'll go after the good resources first, and we'll, we'll go for the good times first, and we'll do the hard work later when we're forced to. You know, we're, we're not that different as a species to a teenager. You know, we will put things off and we will take the easy route out and we will, you know, uh, we, we've got to learn the hard way why certain things need to be done. Right, but when we come through that, right, um, um, the, the human species could could genuinely be uh, a long-term proposition. So we always were going to put this off. We were always going to uh, pretend not to see uh, certain things until we had to. So this situation that's coming was always going to happen. At the same time, the only way the human species will grow up is if we go through something like this. So it's needed. It was always going to happen and it was needed. Now someone's just got to do the work. That happens to be us. Right. And and, and so for, for that reason, it's going to be hard. Oh, well, the stock market's probably going to crash. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, uh, you know, lot, lot, lots of people you know food shortages. Uh huh. Why is that? You know, uh, and and so when we also have this thing called free will, like how many times have you come across people who point blank refuse to see any of this stuff, right? And so every day in my life, right? So I believe human society will split into four streams, four parallel systems, and those systems will go through various degrees of success. And one of those uh, streams is people who will defend the current status quo to the death. No matter what happens, it's, and it's, this is a belief thing, they will hang on to the bitter end. And there's nothing you can do to talk to, the, talk to them about it. So, all right, nothing you can do. Wave goodbye and move on. Because, you know, uh, it's going to be hard enough for people who are prepared to cooperate together than dealing with twats who won't listen to reason. And so, so all right, we'll... we'll, we'll you guys enjoy that. Let us know how it goes. Right, so that's the first stream. The second stream are what I call the Vikings. This term was come up with a, by a friend of mine called Steve King. And he said the Vikings are a group of people who go, yeah, yeah, things are terrible. But instead of actually doing our hard work, let's go and take someone else's. Um, and we're seeing like a version of that on the geopolitical scale at the moment. But even that's not going to work because, because after a while, Taking stuff from someone else isn't going to cut it because the ability to go and take stuff is going to get harder and harder. And so, so oh, now what do we do? Right, right. So group three, uh, the people is, all right, things have gotten difficult. Um, okay, things haven't gone so well, but now we're going to deal with what we need in the here and now. How do we uh, grow our food? How do we um, uh, maintain our uh, heat our buildings. How do we maintain the electrical power in, in in the systems? In what we need in the Maslow hierarchy of needs in, in the now to the next five ten years, and and so p- people just just knuckle down and they'll, they'll go for it and they'll work on it. And then group four, uh, the people who will consider how do we actually build a society that maintains what we have now. But can do it sustainably, and that might take a hundred, you know, hundred years. It might take you know forty, fifty years. This is the sort of thing that Jacques Fresco was proposing with the uh, Venus Project, but with energy constraints, right? And, and so that sort of thing won't happen overnight. You've got to build it very, very slowly. You, your friend Travis is proposing something similar. It will take time to build that, right? And, and because we haven't done the work, we're starting from scratch in almost every way. 
because our current society is actually built and structured around the idea of cheap, abundant energy and the fact that we have a just-in-time supply grid across six continents of a complexity never seen before. And, and we're dependent on this calorifically rich substance we call oil to do it all. That's our, our technology, our infrastructure, our education, um, our information systems are based around these, these concepts. Take away that foundation and we're adrift. So we've got to build it up from scratch. And we will do it, but it won't necessarily be for everyone. So many dumbasses will stay in group one. So I just, I loved everything you just said. Um, really, it, it, it tapped right back into that very profound sense of, of kinship and connection that I found upon first meeting you and reading your work and discovering that, there are, that people like you are out there who are hard realists who are, you know, who see the, the necessity and the possibility for this type of transformation, that it is not only some utopian dream, which is what, what a silly word to use is to dismiss somebody. Oh, that's utopian. Oh, you're actually trying to create the best outcome possible. I think I love it when people call me names because it's like, aha, that just shows you have no argument. You can't actually rationally deal with what the things that I'm saying. And so you have to dismiss it with some cheap word to sweep it under the rug. But that th this is a great opportunity, you know, and, and as you said, this is this, it, it was always going to be this way. Yeah. And I think that it isn't just the environmental destruction that is at stake here or that is, that is driving the need for this transformation. It is the, the humanity, the inhumanity that we have been, you know, subsisting, not just off of one dirty energy supply, fossil fuels, but slavery. That that has been the primary mode of getting shit done in human history that we know in this history of civilization, not the prehistory before that where we didn't exist in that way. But we have gotten things done through hard slavery, through forcing people to use their bodies as machines to do the unsavory work in society. That as we're seeing now at, produces these destructive, increasingly destructive outcomes, this increasingly competitive culture, this, this endless ravenous hunger when our bellies are full, really. When we actually are in a state of material abundance right now that we could make sustainable, that we could use this technology that we've just developed through this hard, brutal cycle to transcend it, to move beyond the need to continue all of these dirty inputs, all of these parasitic social relations that are really at the heart of this. And that we would never have made that shift. You know, it's funny, I was watching the, uh, that Seth MacFarlane Star Trek ripoff show. And they still have like a representative democracy in that like they don't use money, but they still have like a representative democracy, which I think is silly that people can, they can't really can't imagine a different social arrangement beyond that. And that this current system through its tiers of progress and through its attempts to change things and fix that and improve that and go from gas to electric is not going to evolve us socially. It is not going to bring about this quantum leap. Even in thousands of years, it would still perpetuate itself. We wouldn't make it that far. We'd blow ourselves up you know, in another way, but the earth, our, our home, our mother, our, really our, our self, the, the self that is us, you know, is forcing us to grow the fuck up, as you said, and do things right. So I've got a so, bastard question for you. What do you say? I've got a bastard question for you. Uh, I've been, I, tra I train my students in the art of the bastard question, right? And, and so it, it goes as follows. Most people in the current industrial ecosystem do work to provide value for someone else. And they're pushing value up the food chain. 
you know, uh, like, like you work for a company, okay, you're providing value for that company. That company provides value for something else, for other companies. And it's not a decentralized network. It's actually quite a centralized network. And so value keeps getting pushed up the food chain. How much value gets returned to the people? The answer is some, but comparatively little compared to what's produced in a macro scale term. So, you know, the, the wages, the value that comes back to the people is a fraction of the true value of what has produced when you look at the whole system together. So the bastard question is as follows. Where is all that value going? And when you say it's, it's going up and up, up the food chain to a relatively small number of people, but even when they look at their assets and value, does that account for the amount of value that humanity is producing? And I don't think it does. So where is it going? Well, we're vaporizing it to turn it into ones and zeros in a computer, basically. Yeah. It, I it, mean, it, that, are we that stupid? Really? We are. <laughs> we That we are not experiencing, this is not an economic system. This is not a viable mode. This is a, a, a crazy hallucinogenic delusion that we're undergoing right now. That we have this, this profound glitch in our operating system that is cannibalistic, that is extinguishing itself. That is something that is so, when you really stare into it and see like, all of this energy and bloodshed and and horror, it's not even really helping those people at the top because their quality of life is completely interdependent upon the people around them in society. And that our yeah. consciousness, which is really the, the great value that we are here to produce, to expand and grow consciousness, to grow our meaning and our ability to love each other and all this hippie shit, <laughs> that is really why we're here and we are constricting it massively we're keeping it so that our collective organism is primarily intentionally dulled down and saddled with heavy weights and you know deprived of the nutrients that they need to function and i, I can see over the other side i can truly profoundly see uh, the world beyond this where humanity is as it was once was is working together is very it's so simple we are competing against each other minimizing ourselves, taking nature and true wealth and resources and relationships, which is what nature is. It's not just a resource, it's a relationship. And we're destroying it to turn it, to turn it into really nothing. It's ego and it's, it's all based on, it's, it's a projection of the insecurity that we are not enough, that nature is not enough, that we, are, we will never be satisfied if we are not in, in, in touch with that, that we are not connected with that. So I, um, I, I like to say, um, how often do we actually operate on these little white lies that we tell ourselves and how often are those little white lies really whoppers right and and our society at it in many ways is is founded in illusion it, it is truly illusionary and a lot of the stuff that that of the uh components that actually sort of hold our society together socially uh, have deteriorated over the last 50 60 years um uh, and we've replaced it with this sense of materialism, which by its very nature is a, is a virtue that is temporary. So the last couple of years has been one damn thing after another, right? Now, COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns that came from that, that has provided the perfect camouflage for a collapsing system. Now, straight after uh, COVID, we've had the Ukraine um, issue with, with Russia invading Ukraine. That is now being blamed 
as you know the reason why we're in this pickle. And the next thing is going to be the terrible strife that we uh, that we're setting ourselves up for uh, for the coming winter in Europe. And I think all of that, all of it, every damn everything that's I'm very cynical about these events have been used as a camouflage for a collapsing system and a failed policy set. And I think the European people in general are about to be put into a very desperate situation where they'll be open to suggestion, save us, save us, save us. And we're probably going to see some of those very human actions and possibly some some, uh, fascist suggestions of how we should do things as a society. It'll be all self-serving. Go ahead. So, so capitalism works best if you happen to be a psychopath. Empathy costs you money if you're a capitalist. So, as a natural progression, psychopaths have drifted to the top of the of top of the um, monetary food chain. So, if we happen to have capital, uh, uh, um, a series of psychopath capitalists at the top, calling all the shots and the decisions because it was so much wealth has been concentrated. What do psychopaths with power do to solve problems, right? And is it for the betterment of everyone else or are we irrelevant to them, right? And so that basic idea does explain a lot of what we're seeing at the moment. We've given our power to psychopaths and we are required to take our power back. We've given our power to a value program that necessitates psychopathy. That literally, it's 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 you know, it, as you said, you know, you can't you cannot succeed if you are too moral, if you are too open. So, like I, my favorite uh, example of this is Henry Ford, who I'm not going to say isn't a psychopath. Can't say for sure if he is or isn't. I like successful, probably, you know, didn't, didn't weep when he saw a poor person, but he attempted to uh, increase wages to the point where all of his employees could buy one of his products. He was sued by his shareholders. So even the top dog capitalist of the day, like one of the archetypes of the industrialist, could not fundamentally make things even slightly more beneficial. You know, yeah. and I, I think about uh, Abby Martin was uh, gave a speech at an event that I was at where she talked about how in uh, Jamaica or in, in one of the islands out there, they moved to create a minimum wage. Th- that was it. They weren't, you know, trying to execute all the landlords. They just tried to move to increase minimum wage. And the industries that were profiting off of that labor differential said, absolutely not. That's going to crush our bottom line. And yep. so they use their power and their money and their influence, as they've done many, many times, to basically create a coup in that country, knock out that do-gooder that was going to make things better for the people, and install their person who's going to function at their rate. And from their logic, there's nothing sociopathic about that. Oh, well, our families depend on this. And you're how you're. it's this attitude that they've deeply ingrained. That was created through this value program of this culture where they it's been you know uh, operantly conditioned at every level throughout their entire lives to believe that this is the only way and that it's us against you and that's it that's just life so there's two books that describe that very well one is confessions of an economic hitman hitman by john perkins the other is the shock doctrine by naomi wolf that naomi klein sorry uh and and they describe very well how this actually manifests in terms of how does one country interact with another when money interests are at the heart of everything and ethics is not. Oh, one more little uh, question there about, about just, just what is your view of money and, and, and its role in the problem and its uh, continuance in the future or. So if, if we, until we actually change the nature of money, we change nothing. 
Right. And, and so obviously the way we've been running our monetary systems at the moment is a fantasy. Uh, you know, fiat currencies and, and all that, they've been inappropriately managed. We are not capable of managing fiat currencies in a sustainable fashion. It's just human nature. So going forward, uh, if we're going to reset into a new currency, uh, one idea is to reset back to a gold standard. That may not work because, well, for starts, society may need something faster than a physical currency. We now dependent on, say, electronic transfers uh, over a long distance. Uh, and then, so, so is it backed by gold? And most nation states will not be able to assemble enough gold to be useful un unless they have an extremely poor currency. What they could do is develop the idea of a currency that is backed by commodities that we actually need. Because at the moment, we need to retool our society. And to do that, that's raw materials. And every nation state has raw materials. And so if we have like a basket of raw materials that's, that, that around each nation state, that could then be the backing for their currency. And that gives the value of their currency. And it also links their currency directly to the ecological realities of bringing value. Right. So if we have uh, some something like a resource central bank that is owned, operated and auditable by the parliament or the people of that nation state, the nation states could interact with each other in that context. So money and resources could well merge into something, the same thing. And we could use something like blockchain technology to manage that somehow. What that looks like, I don't know. Is that a sensible idea? I don't know. But to me, it's the start of the process. Money in its current form is speaking to our very, uh, what's what's the right word? It's speaking to the worst of us in our in our society. It's a, it's empowering the worst of us, and it's getting in the way of things. So it has to go, and it has to be replaced by something else. I would love to really get into um, just just really a, a hard technical and um, procedural sort of um, explanation from your perspective of where we're the, the sort of society we're going towards a resource balance or resource-based economy and how do we get there so we will be forced into a situation where the relationship between us and energy and us and natural raw materials changes the circular economy in its current form will not work it's structurally not possible thermodynamically it will fail but if we take the idea that all resources are valuable and we get the level best use out of it, each resource, and every time there's a waste plume, we reuse it as many times as possible. And we change the relationship with the planet where it's more symbiotic and it's recognized as valuable. Whereas at the moment, as valuable in its natural state, but at the moment, the, the uh, planetary environment is seen as something to make money out of or to be ignored. So we are headed towards a situation where the relationship with the planet becomes the center of our society and the way we manage our resources is going to be very conscious in terms of where did this stuff come from and where does it go and energy conscious. So it's a complete restructuring of society and instead of, in, in practical terms, instead of massing together in such high, dense, concentrated groups we called cities, we're probably going to start spreading out now into lower density, but most people are going to be involved in growing their own food. And when they do grow their own food, it's going to be embedded in the natural environment. And so everything that we need, uh, from a social point of view, what we want, what we need, and what we do will all become the same thing. Whereas at the moment, 
uh, that is not the case. Society at the moment is driven by whim, and what is valuable is is whim, and our needs are not attended to, and the needs of others are outright ignored. Right, right. If you look at a well, natural, that's the, that's the the, the rookie, That's just the the most profound disconnection in the market system and in the stock market mm-hmm. as the kind of brain of our society. It has no understanding of need. It has no understanding of life, as John McMurtry uh, said so beautifully and articulately, that it is life blind. And yeah. that's that's you know uh, Nathan's book is reality blind. We are blind to reality that our mechanisms do not recognize human need. I mean, how crazy is that, that we don't have a mechanism in society that recognizes need? I just have to point that in. I have to push that in because it's so crazy. Yeah. And an alien looking at us right now would be so flabbergasted. And I made a whole movie about this. It'll, it'll come out someday. It's amazing. But it's, it's an, uh, this cosmic life form comes down to Earth and sees, wait a minute, you have the resources to take care of all people, but you don't. You, you disavow their needs so that mm-hmm. this, you can play this game. It, Sorry, go ahead. And, and, then, and then war is a strategy to gain wealth, right? <laughs> Part of our biology tells us to do that, right? You often sort of see, for example, like a, a red ant population will then take over an area and will go to war with the black ants in the area. Right? It, it is in our biology to do it. So in many respects, our biology is being overridden by our consciousness, like our sentience. Does that actually mean something? But if, if you look at, uh, for example, an animal, let, let, let's say um, a whale. Let's say a whale's uh, swimming through the ocean. What it wants, what it needs, and what it does. As far as we can tell, is there any difference? Right? It, you know, uh, but they're sentient. They're actually quite intelligent. Uh, and the fact that we don't understand them is a reflection on us. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, or, or the other one is if you look at, say, a beaver that, that, that actually makes a dam. In, in, a, in a stream, it terraforms the local environment and it builds up a dam and it changes the entire region. But we don't look at it as different to the local environment. We see it as part of the environment. One of the things I think about, like, if, if human society comes through this transition and we learn everything we need to learn and you come out the other side and wind the clock for a, th- a thousand years after the transition has happened, what will our society look like? Right, uh, you know uh, what you know. You know so, if an alien turned up and looked down from orbit, for example, would they see the human society as like a a bit off to one side, or it would be embedded in the environment and part of the environment? Uh, the human species, at a fundamental level, has to decide: is it part of the planetary environment or not? Because at the moment, we are behaving like we are not, and we don't care, and it's not our problem. So this brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the basically the biotechnical transformation from an extractive sort of uh, metallurgical economy toward uh, creating and growing materials. I mean that's as that's one uh, solution that I see is growing in a regenerative way materials like hemp, for example. I, I love to say this because it it's so it, it can be made into anything from silk. To steel rebar, to uh, graphene, and I mean, yep. this, that's one plant that we can we can transition from ripping things out of the earth in in a metallurgical form to regeneratively growing materials that draw carbon out of the atmosphere. We can take this abundance of carbon in our atmosphere and turn it into the material for the future. So how do we? Um, I guess I, I think a lot of um, the the things that you propose 
uh, do raise a lot of very interesting questions in how to get toward a sort of Venus project like society or even a smaller scale society that we're trying to create and, and build steps to that. How do we resource that? So uh, bamboo is the other one. Hemp and bamboo together, if you were to actually use them properly, what would the implications be? And so uh, you're talking about a different paradigm and how we see things. And um, here's, here's, here's one of those other bastard questions. How often do you do things or how does the, uh, the average person do things when they think they're doing it for what someone told them to do or what someone told them they thought was cool? How often is someone doing something because they genuinely want to do it? And the way we are at the moment, not much. But that, that we, can is, be, we can be tricked into thinking genuinely that what we're doing, as absurd and silly as it is, like wearing the new Yeezy sneakers, is something we actually want to do and, in fact, need to to fit in and get our bread in this crazy, abstract civilization. So, so it, it sounds strange to have these conversations about an industrial conversation but at the heart of the change of the social paradigm shift is questions like that, right? Uh, you know, first, we have to understand our predicament. Then we have to change our paradigm. Then, for the first time, we can develop a plan. Now, we haven't done any of that, and so we haven't got a plan. So they're the, they're the three basic steps. And the fourth step is we've got to go and do it. So there's four basic steps that we are actually sort of uh, grading into it at, at the moment. But at the heart of all of it is a social change in how we change our paradigm. So when you sort of how do we get there, you've got four steps. But we've got to do it collectively. But because of the way we are, we're going to have a big old mess and everything's going to be chaos and messy for a while. And we're going to have to learn a few things the hard way. We will see some very human actions while people learn the hard way why we should or should not do certain things. But understanding what... Pain is a great teacher, and we're lining ourselves up for a whopper, right? You know, a, a very, very difficult period, and we will. And at the end of it, we'll thou shalt, thou shalt not do certain things, right? So that, and and then we will go to after that understanding. Well, what paradigm would work? What kind of world do we want to live in? Who are we? Do we live in? Do are we? Do we let fear and scarcity dictate our thinking? Or do we let uh, um, the idea of imagination take off? And, of course, we will see both. But the people who think in terms of scarcity, you know, will they do as well as the people who think in terms of imagination? Because one will grow, one will shrink. So in a natural environment, for example, if this was a forest, a series of plants that are able to grow and flourish versus a series of plants that will actually shrink, which one's going to dominate, dominate long term? Right, so so you know, you're either part of one group or the other. Act like it's true, and and, and so it, it may be chaotic, but that's the rough direction that we will go in. And I think while we learn the, a few things the hard way, it's going to be the most difficult period of history ever recorded. And it's going to be interesting because it won't be you know in his periods like this in the past have been driven by war and famine. Uh, but now we've got some mechanisms, similar things are going to happen, but the control mechanisms are actually things that we've done, right? And so it's going to have a different signature. Therefore, solutions coming out of it will be different as well. Th th this is where we are going. So 
my bastard question for you, and I think this is maybe our wrap question, and it's, I'm, I'm sure it's a question that you are asked by your life and the people around you every day. How do you pitch this transition to those people that are still hung up on the bright green lies of, you know, that we can just patch the pieces of the existing system and optimize this and change that and polish that up and change this for that. And, oh yeah, do it circularly, you know, recycle more, you know, it's, it's, it's all an, a, a very grotesque, elaborate form of crazy brain, uh, greenwashing and brainwashing and gaslighting really. So how do you pitch this sort of visionary imaginative transition to groups like the International Monetary Fund or the... So the uh, it goes something like this. The existing plan to transition away from fossil fuels, um, ecological reality won't allow it to happen. We don't have the physical resource. We don't have the time. We don't have the energy. Their whole plan is a crap plan. And we need to make a better one. Now, that better plan is going to be done by people who uh, go through a series of paradigms. That plan, the people in that plan will be more successful if they can learn and adapt to change. Those who stick to, uh, um, those who stick to how things have happened for the last 100 years, uh, they're not going to do so well. For example, I've got lots of degrees, uh, letters after my name. Very impressive. Right, but if I was to actually rely on that only, I would be only learned. Right, but the people who will survive and thrive are people who can learn, people who can adapt to change and and realize what's happening around them and change the new plan. So, how do I pitch it? I pitch it in language that they cannot not see. For example, number of units needed, uh, shortfall of metals required. Uh, you know, you know, and, and put it in their own language. And so, look, guys, you've got a problem. You've got a serious problem, and this is using your data. And if you don't fix it, if you don't take part of the, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the precipitate, you will be left behind if you cannot adapt. And they go, oh, yeah, it's a little harsh. And I said, yes, it may well be a bit harsh, but we don't have the time to uh, sugarcoat this. And, and, and that's the sequence. And the, so the trick is to actually have data and that, I, that I put out there that is, is strong and can survive an audit, and is not easily refuted. Or if they do refute it, they have to use magical thinking and circular reasoning. And they can do that, but others will see them happening, and they will realize that that's not working, and they've got to think of something else. That something else is what we need to get on with. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of this something else is, is not going to be adopted by those people who have a vested interest as, right. a, as a great quote, it's like, uh, it's very hard to get somebody to understand something whose salary depends on them not understanding it. Right. And so they're, so, part of group one. they're part of group one. They will defend the status quo and life will get increasingly stressful and hard for them. Don't waste your time with them. They'll starve to death in the dark. So for me, the question is really, and I, I ask this question every day as I move out through this crazy internet to try to find the others like yourself who are in this sort of middle middle category, you know, where you are in many senses very much in the system, but you see the need to transition without it. And so I, I interact with a lot of people, the most, most of the people that get that there's a problem, generally, they don't really understand the ins and outs of material throughput and energy and, 
and all of these, you know, more uh, structural elements or, or even the why, the big why of why the problem exists. But I think the working class, the dispossessed, the marginalized peoples of the world, they are ready for revolution. And they, you know, they, 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 they want that so badly because they, they don't have any of the treats that the existing system offers them. But the system has never worked for them. And uh, the, the, the question is, how do we connect to people, more people like you, more people in your, uh, in your sort of tier of, of society to help to fund, furnish, and envision this transition, this kind of growing out from the middle transition of building these communities, of scaling back, of moving out of the cities and acquiring land and resources and creating that. Um, I can't remember what you said in the conversation with Travis, but it was like basically creating the minimum viable product of a closed loop, uh, scalable model of civilization, which is really what we envision, you know, creating with with earth building and with, you know, small scale renewable energy and with with geothermal heat pumps and you know hydroponic growing and integrated permacultural principles and new social principles and new uh, ways of of networking ourselves new what new governance models of creating this small scale model of that new system which is still even as even the smallest scale version of it is so difficult for us to be able to get that in place so that's always the question that's the question of this season of our show is the transition how do we get there. So I'm actually getting uh, email contacts every day now from people all around me at all levels of society who, who understand they've got part of the pro- part of the problem and part of the solution, right? And and they get it, right? The, the people you are referring to are all around us, and they're at all levels of society, and they're not necessarily saying out loud what they think, uh, because the way our society at the moment is, people such people will be ostracised. Uh, the current society at the moment has a great deal of um, uh, a great deal of um, anger. There's there's a lot of deceit and duplicitous uh, um, actions happening at the moment. Very self-serving. Well, well e- even even in the uh, like climate activist circles, they are really allergic to actually questioning what the solution is and really questioning everything. So that I know climate activists will chain themselves to banks and get arrested to change one aspect of the system. Yeah, that's right, and they, they don't. Uh, uh, but but the system's understanding is coming. We are starting to see what we need to see, right? And so it it, it is. We're getting there. We are getting there. And what, so what I'm sort of saying is, such people uh, more and more hap- happening all the time. They will reach a point where it's it's like a, a critical mass socially. Humanity seems to work on two levels. There's the individual, but there's also the species group level. And the species as a group is now prepared to discuss certain things now that were not possible to be discussed even two or three years ago. Right. So we are evolving very quickly in terms of understanding. And the usual methods of keeping us amused and contained are not working anymore. More and more people are seeing through the bullshit. Right. And, and so they are starting to evolve very very quickly and they'll get a point when you reach a critical mass and we unconsciously shift into a new paradigm when that happens all the stuff that was actually been been stopping it from happening will just just uh, unravel like a will shed it like a skin and 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 socially will evolve very very quickly you know it's 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 interesting talking to you i i <laughs> i keep having this this thought like or i i kind of expected going into this that you were going to be dropping all these bombs on me and kind of shift in direction but really it, it's it's very um 
humbling and inspiring to find that we're, you know, kind of just arm in arm here in the same place that we kind of know the answers to these questions. I know the answers to these questions. There's little micro granules of how to make this, how to switch this resource for this, how to create this sort of thing. But ultimately we do just have to keep spreading the word and engaging with it and, and just really holding on to this precious resource of truth of this truth of this unassailable inarguable reality that we are in touch with reality in a way that the religious zealots of the market just absolutely are not and when enough of us are able to have a platform to speak and to group together and become a, an actual movement that is growing that people are spreading that is is gaining traction that the old arguments as you said they they have no argument for this they have no defense there is no way to really and truly rationally and even compellingly argue against this transition because the the majority of the the working poor of the world even in this bullshit circular economy eat the bugs live in the pod reality are going to be faced with just basically being completely uh, ignored as their reality collapses around them and so they're going to be met with climate austerity and basically i tweeted this out the other day that we're going to see a new Hitler in every single country on earth, or we are going to see a social revolution that is uncontainable, that, that grows and swells to create something more beautiful than humanity has ever seen. Or possibly both, one after the other. So yeah, probably it's, it'll be simultaneous. Yeah, you're right, in four tiers or more. One of the things that keeps coming up in terms of the challenges that we face is the way society's been going, in particular the last you know, four or five years, six years or so, is uh, um, all of the good stuff, you know, you know, a lot of the information on the internet, we're now facing censorship, right? And a lot of the information will just simply delete it, right? So one of the challenges that we have is what I call the arc of knowledge. How do we preserve what society knows now so society in 500 years' time can access it, right? At the moment, everything's on the internet, but the internet's a fragile thing. We're breaking. Uh, everything's electronic. Uh, so, so I, I, I love physical books, and and so, but it, but even that's getting uh, hard to think about. So our levels of education have never been higher, but how do we maintain that, right? And and how do we maintain the the, the knowledge that we have? So you know the the science, the philosophy, the art, um, all the good stuff. How do we make sure that is retained, and we don't go into a dark ages of stupidity again? That's our challenge. That's our true challenge. Well, my thought there is, <laughs> I just had a, a, a maybe a nonsensical tangent in my head, but uh, I was just thinking about this transcension hypothesis that uh, technology getting smaller and smaller and smaller could get to the point of being a molecule. And so, you know, something like a psilocybin mushroom, which contains information, you know, that, uh, I think Terence McKenna or maybe Michael Pollan or maybe many people said this, that technology is becoming more like drugs and drugs are becoming more like technology. Yep. And so the ability to contain, you know, a vision in some kind of molecule is, is an interesting prospect, just an, an idea of, you know, you just opened up a, a question in my, a line of questioning that I hadn't really considered before, but. One of the yeah, challenges we face is what do we do with our technology? Dmitry Orlov wrote a book called Shrinking the Technosphere. And in that is some very interesting ideas. At the moment, society 
is dependent on its technology like a drug to the point where that technology now controls us. Right? We, we are, uh, our movements and actions are dictated by the technosphere. And that technosphere is getting so large, it's now get, eclipsing the size of the biosphere. It's everywhere, right? So how do we as a species gain control of that? We've not got to evolve. We've got to evolve as a species. I'm reading the whole Dune series again, you know, by Frank Herbert, where humanity had to evolve to survive. You know, and you had groups like the Bene Gesserit and the Navigator Guild. Uh, uh, but but the, the whole question of, of allowing technology to overrun us, this is actually at the very heart of what sort of society would we become? And what do we do? Because a lot of the technology they're talking about now is the solution. They're, they're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, right? Where, where they want to, uh, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum is, is is talking about merging our biology with machines and consciousness, and and they have, the human being is now hackable. Now that you know, when you actually just sit back and what what they're proposing, it is seriously uncomfortable and unacceptable. A lot of the uh, work when they're proposing the idea of say um, uh, the fourth industrial revolution or, or smart cities, is they're creating a system that is amazingly complex, many orders of magnitude more complex than what we have now, and would require material demands of such high purity that we've never done before. And it will require many, many times more energy. And that's one of the things that we cannot do. Energy. We cannot have an energetic system bigger than what we've got at the moment. In fact, the energy return and energy invested of non-fossil fuel systems is less so our future, by by virtue of the way things are at the moment, will be lower energy than what we've got now. So a lot of the fourth industrial revolution ideas might work for a very small number of applications. Or rather, if they did do it, let's say we went down that path, we would create the world that would like be the movie Elysium, where the very, very wealthy would be in, say, a gated community where everything works just fine, as does the technology. But everyone outside that gated community where it's poorer, we're waiting for things to arrive so the system can establish itself. And so we have dysfunction, right, and, and, and extreme poverty. And and so the, the whole complexity behind the fourth industrial revolution is, is not, does not honor the reality of the energy that we have available. And so... So, so it goes. Yeah, they're they're um, they are being wielded as uh, opponents. Basically, their narrative, which is terrifying and horrible, is being wielded as an anti-climate change uh, sort of vanguard to say this is what they want. They want you to live in the bugs, or they want you to live in the pot and eat the bugs. They want you to you know merge your mind with the metaverse, and and it people use the World Economic Forum to say that, oh, climate change regulation is gonna push us into this world because it's a conspiracy and these people have the power. So actually, that's an interesting question I wanted to ask you is, is you know, so you've actually interacted with these groups. It seems to me that these narratives that have centered on this, what I think is probably quite anti-Semitic and, you know, classically conspiratorial, this view of Klaus Schwab as this, you know, this uh, controller, this, you know, 1984-like person who's this architect of this disgusting future that, is being wielded against the, you know, the the tepid imaginations of, you know, the people who are pissed off about the way that the world is working. So, have you you've actually interacted with these entities and groups 
what what so, is your what is your relationship to them or what is your view of them and their schemes so the idea of that that there is a group that um, is dictating the, the the path of the world um, in, is one thing but my personal experience is everyone I've interacted with there's no one in charge as such uh, but they're all saying the same things and they're repeating things that, that they've come from somewhere else. Now, in 2011, the, the Swiss University of Zurich did a study of corporate control and they found that, that they, they looked at, you know, the, the corporate actors on, on the ecosystem and they found that 737 corporations controlled about 80% of the, uh, the world's revenue, right? So our economic system is heavily centralised Right, and so the World Economic Forum works for those guys. So, what do those guys want as we go through a uh, climate change? How do we fix climate change? How do we sort the energy problem? How do we sort the mineral shortage, uh, etc.? You know, how how that's what they think, but they think they're at the heart of everything. But actually, they're not. They're, the economy was supposed to serve humanity, not the other way round. And that fundamental misunderstanding has allowed them to actually develop this idea that they're in charge. And humanity is being convinced of that at the moment, but, but there is a very, very quick point coming when that's not going to work. And humanity won't stand for this anymore. And when that happens, we may have another French Revolution moment, but when that happens, we will see a shift and humanity at large will realise the economy serves them, not the other way around. And if the economy no longer works, it is discarded and we make a new system. Right, And with it goes everything. And we can create a system truly that the people do have a preferential control over that is manageable, is understandable, is local, is connected to their actual daily reality, that they're not commanded from thousands of miles away by regulations from people that they don't understand and can't see that make them get into a little machine and drive uh, you know, uh, an hour every day so they can work for some corporation another thousand miles away so they can get pieces of paper or not even pieces of paper because it's just numbers in a machine to bring back to their families so they can buy products so that they can keep them alive. It's just so alien. And I, I, I actually really feel for those people who do kind of take the bait of that conspiracy rhetoric because it's so alienating. It's so weird and uncontrollable. And the future shock is so great that they are really... Go ahead. So, so, so there's, 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 a few, there's a few caveats in there. The system that's been built over time, the industrial economic system, has actually centralised and is actually, you know, where, where it, it is actually controlled by a relatively small number of people. They believe they're in charge and they believe they can dictate the future. They've convinced us this is also true, but the reality is they're just an operating system. What if we collectively uninstall Windows and, and install Linux instead? It, it is you know, then it all just gone right so while we still believe that paradigm a lot of those conspiracy theories persist because there's evidence on the ground to show that they're true but if human consciousness evolves and says we're not taking this anymore it's not true so the people i talk to in you know in in you know the, the, these groups everyone i speak to they're normal people just like you and me um they're not part of a, a, a grand conspiracy to take over the world or anything like that. No they're one's drinking gonna... the baby blood. They want to make all candy fun size. They're taking over. <laughs> they're trying to do the best they can with what they have, but they're doing what they're told. And what they're told is coming from somewhere else. They're not thinking for themselves. 
Or if they are, they're thinking within a window that has been set for them. So yeah, someone... there's, a, there's a cascading trickle-down phenomenon within a hierarchical pyramidal structure that everybody's kissing everybody's ass. Nobody wants to go against what the person above them says. And right. at the top of the pyramid, it's it's no person. It's 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 an operating system. It really is the market and the mechanic itself of this idea of money and this this whole way of thinking about things that, as you said, is the operating system that no yeah. person can control. No person controls the price flows and the supply and demand and the matrix of the market. No person so, does it. They adapt to it. The emperor has no clothes, right? But our finance systems and industrial systems are have and have a very small bow tie system. Like it, it does flow through a fairly central point, and a lot, a lot of our industry, industrial systems are dominated by a relatively small number of um, companies, and a lot of these hedge funds are like, you know, you know the, the, the the richest, uh, richest people in the world, the richest ten people in the world, own more than own more than the bottom fifty percent or something like that. Like wealth has been concentrated into such a small number of people. And so they are actually able to wield an enormous amount of influence. So, so this is why those conspiracy theories actually persist, because there's, there's many things on the ground to show that they might be true. Now, the question is, whether they're true or not, is actually up to us. Humanity at large is like, yeah, we're not doing it. We're not going to play along with that. We're not going to accept this either. You know, um, and, but then it's up to us to create an alternative. And that's what I'm saying. We're back to the social contract. It's us. It always was going to be down to us. I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's there's beauty in that. There's horror and terror and the things that are happening and the things that are falling apart. And I think that those people who are invested in the dream and the belief of the old way are having the hardest time adapting to it. But people like us who just see how silly and shallow it is and who can actually see on the other side of something better, not just something compromised, not just this sort of this austerity sort of scaling back of, of just degrowing the existing system, but creating a new system. And I think that when the, the average person can wrap their head around that and see this sort of sandbox, beginning of a new video game, sprawling open world, you know, possibility, I, 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 I put my faith in that. I put my faith in the people and then the imagination and then the resiliency and adaptation that we all possess. So that's true, but first we've got to have the perception to see things as they really are. Like, like there's so many systems that I look at now. You know, uh, uh, for example, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, a big farmer or big agriculture. Like, how do they actually operate in terms of decisions they make? And 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 you come away from this that you fucking shower of assholes. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, humanity cannot be managed and dictated to like that and be called a civilized society. We've got to understand what we're seeing first, then the ma imagination kicks in. So we've got to look at the darkness. We, we can't ignore it. But the darkness is in ourselves because we've allowed this to happen. Greed, stupidity, indifference. Indifference is probably the most serious social attribute that is going to cause us the most problems. I, I absolutely agree, and I've been really meditating on that. It, it, I went to a like a video game, like 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 a comic convention the other day that we've been sneaking into for years in this city of Atlanta, and I just saw all these people, you know, partying, 
you know, doing their thing. And I see this everywhere. I see this in all forms. And that's just an extreme form of like people not changing and adapting to literally the world being on fire and underwater at the same time. And this cataclysm being right over the horizon and this adventure actually being sprawling out ahead of us for us to rethink and rechange everything that I just am very, very disturbed more than anything, more than the war, more than the pointless starvation and resource scarcity. What really disturbs me is the fact that people can ignore it. That people yeah. can actually see what's going on and have the cognitive dissonance to compartmentalize it yeah. and not give a fuck. As that that blow that I do not understand. Truly, mm -hmm. don't understand it. So we've got to take our power back, but then create the society we want to live in. And so systems like the Zeitgeist movement, I really, really liked. And uh, but they've got to we've got to couple those ideas with the idea of a low energy future and the fact that we will have less resources of less complexity. So we have to make do with less and do more with it. So we've got to become the strongest part of the system, the strongest link in the chain, and not depend on everything around us just to work for us. So in the spirit of creating a truly economic system of economizing what we do have to uh, reduce waste and increase efficiency, uh, I see the possibility for abundance but not in perhaps the way that most people would think. I, I look at the world around us and I see materials everywhere. Mm -hmm. I see metals, I see waste, I see, you know, there's, there's you know, many millions, cell, millions of cell phones with rare earths in them and landfills. All the cars that I see in the world, I now just see as junk on its way to becoming raw materials to repurpose into things like, you know, the means to create automated systems. I think about all the printers and all the useless offices in the world. I think about all the just all the junk that goes into creating this existing system, all the production systems uh, and factories that are producing junk toys that you see in little vending machines outside Mexican food restaurants. I see all the material abundance everywhere. I see that we have drawn out so much stuff. We have actually uh, taken out more weight in material stuff than the, the weight of all life on Earth. So mm. I, I see this material that is there. It just needs to be very creatively repurposed and then economized into a system that is not based upon infinite growth and infinite consumption and the need to increase its output all the time and just basically to function in all these extremely inefficient ways to facilitate this monetary market system, to turn money into more money. So at the moment, we've got uh, thermal entropy limits in terms of accessing the materials around us in our rubbish waste tubs. Uh, also, our recycling technology is not nearly as effective as uh, we would like it to be in just turning all that stuff into useful products immediately. There is vast amounts of waste that we've created that it, at the moment, with the technology the way it is at the moment, it's it's not really usable. And so we've got to have a, a, a reality discussion around what engineering is possible. So in terms of abundance... Uh, a friend of mine um, was was into the Buddhist philosophy, and, and he would say, like, happiness is not about wanting more; it's it's about being content with less, right? And 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 happiness in in, in terms of instead of having the dopamine hit of the material um, gain of the new toy, right? You get the same dopamine hit by meditating and turning inwards and the relationships around you. And so life becomes much simpler and you like it that way. You don't feel well, that life is not about, is not about stuff. Yeah. Life is not, 
in its in its true sense in the you know quantum or physical sense life is not a material thing at all there's nothing solid all matter is spinning endlessly around cores of basically nothingness nothing is solid nothing is static yeah and and the true purpose of life is to experience and to explore consciousness through the subjective and emotional and spiritual experience of life right but so, also i go ahead I, I, i'm interrupting you i'm sorry you go ahead no no you're okay go ahead so well if we can actually build a society that actually comes to those conclusions and does it because it wants to then we can actually shrink what we actually actually want materially and our footprint can shrink as well and if that can be achieved then all sorts of things are possible that are not possible now but yeah i see that the the, the big like aha moment for me one of the biggest revelations of my life in this whole money thing was just realizing like how much energy human energy not just fossil fuel or solar or whatever human energy and mental power goes into making money either if you're poor you're just making enough to get by and that takes up all of your fucking time uh and, or if you're rich you're trying to make more and that takes up all of your time and so the mental capacity to solve these problems to ephemeralize and make more efficient technology and increase our ability to recycle increase our you know effectiveness at taking the things that we have and repurposing them into something new that could actually create a truly transcendent you know uh, large scale advanced science fiction civilization you know that's able to create these large scale products or pro uh, projects in a in a sustainable way hmm. that we cannot do that in this current system but if we can transition to a system that does scale back that does work on focusing to meet people's needs and nurture the true creativity and the true human resources that we have in human beings educational capacities their understandings their ability to work together you know i mean and i think about all the innovations that are kept back by the business cycle by you know you know how how long have we had renewable energy technology and the fossil fuel industries and other companies and industries that would lose their profit margins because of that because of creating an abundant system because of creating something that you cannot infinitely charge money for how many innovations already exist but just are not at scale or that I, when i'm talking to people in these industries they always I'll talk about bladeless wind turbines and the, these new methods of doing things and recyclable parts and new metals and new batteries and they'll say oh but it's not scalable which just means we can't make money off of it and we're, we're this is one of the biggest bottlenecks of money and the need to continually profit off of things is that we're not going to make it through that we're not going to make an abundant sustainable world profitable because sustainability is by nature stable and profiting endlessly cancerously growing is not sustainable yeah you have to be careful with that one because i use that word um scalable myself so for example um evs and wind turbines work fine on a small scale but when you want to scale them up to be available for everyone on the planet all of a sudden we've got the bottleneck of we don't have enough resources to do it right so when they so say the scalable what do they mean by that is it scalable for economic profit or is it scalable that's what they the mean practicalities of uh, actually doing it yeah so and I, and I think that's the necessity of an access-based uh, system going beyond mere personal ownership and individual acquisition that we can have a, a, a drastically more efficient system that utilizes less resources but but also gives people access to the things that they need at a high standard and a, and a big part of that is rebuilding the commons and creating 
those nice things and those toys and swimming pools and hot tubs and whatever the fuck it is that people like that makes them, you know, satisfied in a material sense, just putting those things in the comments and making them shared. Yeah. And then, then that comes back to what do we want? What do we need? And what do we do? have got to merge into the same thing. And a lot of that comes to responsibility of our actions. Right. And so this is what the average person has got to become. And this is what the species has got to become. There's some hard, hard lessons on the ground for us. It's not going to go to plan and it's not going to be easy. But my goodness, it is absolutely necessary. Back to where we were before, this is actually perhaps the first opportunity humanity has had to genuinely grow up and cut the crap. And create something new, something better. And what well, you're Simon, talking about, authentic, real. What do you say? You're talking about an authentic society. That, near that, that term authentic, that's what we're referring to there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting back to a society that is in touch with reality. Yeah. And that is in touch with itself, that, that is not strung out on this insecure delusion. And that, that is what keeps me going. That's what keeps me hopeful and optimistic that, you know, we have not even begun to understand and deal with the problem. And even in the, 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 the few people, the growing numbers, comparatively on the world stage, it's a small amount of people, but it grows every day. And as you said, your inbox is full and our inbox is full and people reach out every day and say, I believe in this. I see it. I want to help. I want to be a part of this new world. And if we can tap that potential, I know that we can do it. And we haven't even begun to see humanity truly reckon with what is going on around us. And when we do, and when it becomes inarguable, then the problem solving and the capabilities that we have will be put to the test. And that gives me hope because that we could change things so rapidly and so beautifully that, that we could really call ourselves a society. Yeah. Well, Simon, I, uh, Appreciate you so much for coming on our show. I'd love to have you on again with Matt and Amanda and, and just keep keep growing the movement, keep keep spreading the um, keep spreading the word and working to build these things in the in the here and now. And that's really we're trying to start that by making this show and, and spreading the word and, and creating memes and content and and getting people to think about it, getting people to understand and starting that conversation in people's heads. But as a as a means to spearhead that movement into creating community, into creating habitats and creating systems and creating new technologies and creating this equal and opposite reaction to what is really an unthinkable progression that is inevitable if we don't do what we have to do, what we know what we have to do. We have a straight and narrow path and uh, connecting with people like you gives me a lot of optimism and hope and um, belief that you know we, we can do this. We can avert the embarrassment that hangs above us. So, but we've all got to collectively understand that each and every one of us has got to do the work. We can't assume someone else has to do it and they'll benefit. Everyone has to do the work. And that's the key. These are the choices that are in front of us. If we can get to the point where a large number of humanity can actually choose to meet these challenges head on, uh, and understand that they will have to work harder than they've ever worked before and they're going to have to make do with less and things are going to be very, very challenging. Uh, then we can actually start the process of actually building a society, but it will not be quick. It's not something that can be done in a 12-month period. 
it might take a century. However, coming out the other side, if we are successful, then the human species could be genuinely sustainable in a true sense. We can grow up from our adolescence and come out the other side as a truly, truly sustainable society with the understanding that we now have a genuine relationship with the planetary environment around us and we have a genuine relationship with each other because at the moment both of those things aren't true. So to give you all a little insight into my absolutely insane creative process and the depths to which this moneyless ethos extends into the fibers of my being. This interview was recorded for the film that I've been working on. The trailer just dropped, by the way. You must watch it. I spent weeks searching for a videographer, filmmaker in Finland on a budget of zero dollars to remotely record this interview with the great Simon. So I finally found Sami Hakarainen, a cyber anarchist filmmaker in a production cooperative, and immediately we talked, hit it off, and he filmed this interview for me. So special thanks to Sami. That's just a little bit of solidarity right there. That right there is what we call mutual aid, and that's what it's all about. Taking money out of our interactions and creating great things. Everything we do here with Moneyless Society comes from the depths of our heart. So we especially, especially, appreciate our patrons who help support us and help keep us going and help keep food in my stomach when I'm editing these episodes at 2 a.m. the night before I release them. So please, if you want to support us, become a patron. Watch our shows and videos, share them with people you like and love, follow us on social media, buy the Moneyless Society book, and keep the faith. As Simon said, there is no them. There's just us, baby. So get out there and do it. You couldn't see me over here, but I was, I was smiling and wringing my hands and uh, <laughs> just, uh, just loving every minute of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>